Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor Dan Willis. How many of you know you have eternity with the Father today? Awesome. Well, welcome to those of you who gathered today. A lot of people out traveling this week. I understand that. Uh, but it's still a, a great day because we're here to gather together. Uh, welcome to those of you in our Mecca campus who are tuning in and those of you on our radio station, those of you online on Facebook. What a great day we are having together because on this wonderful Father's Day, a brand spanking new sermon series I'm very excited about. In fact, of all the series that I've had in the, the last three or four, this is my favorite. It is highly encouraging, I think, and brings together some things that we already know but reinforces it and then possibly shows us new ways to appreciate the Lord. And so that's a good thing. So faith in Christ living in a broken world. Anybody here believe you're living in a broken world today? Yeah. And you could probably give me a list of things that cause you to believe that the world is broken and you're living in a broken society. Our first series, our first sermon of the series is the basis of our faith, what our faith really is and why. So friends, here's the thing. Faith is a, an incredible thing. I, uh, I have faith in, in certain things. Uh, I suspect that uh, in, in my life there's been a few things I've lost some faith in, but I do have faith in certain things. And I, I'm one of those people that has such faith in certain things that I have blind faith in it. Let me explain it. How many of you have lost power during a, a thunderstorm? Anybody? And how many of you went in to get a flashlight, flipped on the light switch to find it? Anybody? Nobody but me ever did that. And you know what? I'll not just do it once. I'll do it time and again. I'll keep walking in the same room, flipping on the same light switch, and I, I know it isn't going to come on. But I'm so used to it happening when I do it that like it, it's burned into me. I have faith that it's going to come on, even when it's not going to. That's blind faith. And aren't you surprised sometimes when it doesn't happen? See, th this is what faith is. The difference is God will never disappoint you. You may think he has, but he won't. We have faith and blind faith in things that are temporary. And sometimes our faith in God isn't where it ought to be. And it wavers or it's non-existent. That's the point. What would it take for you to have a faith in God that is so strong that every time you called upon him, every time you flipped the switch, there he is. It's, it, it, it starts here and here. And remember, we said so many times, what do these do? They go together, and we have to do that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Going to look at the first nine verses. 1 Peter chapter 1. Pretty amazing passage here as the Apostle Peter 
has really grown up. He's really uh, matured. He is truly full of experiential time with the Lord. He's very different as he writes his epistles than the Peter that we seem to know and seem to recognize in the Gospels. He's grown up spiritually, hasn't he? And you can see that he's done so, and he's done that, again, through several different ways. God has built a spiritual character in the Apostle Peter. And that's the exact same thing he wants to do with you. He wants to build spiritual character in you. So 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. Friends, when you feel like a stranger in your society, that's normal for a Christian. Because that's exactly what it should be. Did you hear that? You should be a stranger in the world because we should not be anything like our modern society at all. Because there's such a difference between Christianity and unbelievers that you can see the distinction. And this is what Peter's trying to say. You're God's elect, therefore you're strangers in the world. You are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, get this, for obedience. In other words, God is sanctifying you through the Holy Spirit for obedience to Christ. Do I need to repeat that? Probably. You are being sanctified. All Christians are. All of us are being sanctified. And if you aren't, you're disobedient. We're being sanctified by the Spirit for obedience to Christ. Wow. And the sprinkling by His blood. He says, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Well, I have to tell you, that might be the phrase that catches me right here. Because Lord knows I want grace and peace. Anybody? Yeah. And he wants us to have it in abundance. Well, if you want to have grace and peace in abundance, this is what's going to be required. Listen to this. Praise be to God the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Right? Say it with me. New birth into a living hope. I, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. There you go. Okay. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance. Everybody wants an inheritance, yeah? That can never perish. It can never spoil or fade. And it is kept in heaven for you. That's what he says. Who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Well, brother, I know exactly what Peter's talking about because it seems to me that they come more often than not in this thing called life. He said, these have come so that your faith, listen to this, your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. In other words, your faith has to be proved genuine. And I never, I never understood that before until I started studying for this message. That God may allow trials 
and temptations into my life so that my faith, which is of greater worth than gold, might be proven to those around me. See, it ain't about me. When you're going through trial and trouble, the first thing you think of, why is God doing this to me? Why is he allowing this? I don't understand. I didn't do anything to deserve that. What, what did I do? Right? And you start thinking about how you want to get out of it and how you want God to take it away. But what if God brought it? And what if God brought it saying, would you be willing to suffer a little bit for me so that your faith can be proven? I think, I think best Sunday school class talked about that this morning a little bit. She probably didn't have any idea that I was going to say this today. See, it ain't about you. But we want it to be, you know. And God says, listen, this is just a little while. Right here through Peter, it's just a little while. Okay? Because it's really going to be all about you here pretty soon. It really is. Because I'm going to give you everything I have to give. And it's infinite. I want everything God has for me. Anybody? I want my full inheritance. Anybody want a full inheritance? Okay? So look at what he says here. So that you're, you can be proved genuine, and that may result, get this, in praise, glory, and honor when Christ is revealed. Praise, honor, and glory when he's revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Inexpressible. Have you ever had a point in your life when your joy and love for God was inexpressible? You, you, you wanted to say it, but you really couldn't. You just really couldn't express. For you, get this, are receiving the goal of your faith. And I would ask you, what is the goal of your faith? According to him, what is it? It's the salvation of your souls. Is that the goal of your faith today? Well, it sure ought to be. <clears throat> There's so much here, friends. I don't, I don't even, I, I can't get it all in. I can't get it all in. I, I, my heart is overwhelmed. My mind is overwhelmed with what Peter just said. And I'm thinking, gosh, Peter, when you penned those words, what was going through your heart and mind? What were, what were you dealing with? What were you seeing? What was the Lord revealing to you? What was it really? Where were you? Were you he, had, he had to have been deep in the Spirit, yeah? Had to be when he wrote these things. And I began to think about that, and I thought, you know, the, the sermon we put together here, this message, explores how faith in Christ forms this foundation uh, for the Christian life. And anything that's ever been built has to have a good foundation, amen? Otherwise, it's going to topple. Uh, my wife used to like this game called Jenga. I hate it, personally, but she loves it, okay? Because, you know why I hate it? Because I just know that I'm going to be the one that's going to knock that darn thing over. I know that I, the one I pull out is going to crash, and I'm using, you know, my human understanding of uh, you know, engineering. I think I can pull this, and be fine. But you know what usually does it? Just doing it too fast or just hitting it accidentally and drops it. Well, I found something else out. You start taking blocks out, it makes it weaker and weaker and weaker. Doesn't it? The foundation is everything below another. 
And that's the point. The foundation is huge. The wider the foundation, the deeper the foundation, the more structurally sound whatever your building is going to be. Is that true? Well, of course it is. And while many parts of our lives are uncertain, and what I mean by that, there's so many unknowns, we can take comfort in knowing that we are, get this, secure in Christ. Now, I know as Wesleyan, sometimes we're like, what? Did you say we're secure? Yes, I did. Because I believe in eternal security. Did you hear what I said? I believe in eternal security. I don't think it's an automatic thing, though. I think it depends on you. I believe that if you stay secure in the Lord, you'll always be secure in Him. Anybody? I believe if you constantly make the basis of your life about Him, you will remain secure in Him. But when you start fading off, backing out, drifting left and right, and He's not the basis of your faith, now, now we're in danger. Every Wesleyan ought to believe that. Now we're in danger. The Apostle Peter is writing to believers scattered throughout Asia Minor, which would be mostly modern-day Turkey today. And he does so in an effort to encourage them to remain steadfast in their Christian faith. Now, you, you know what we've talked about steadfastness before and what that means. It's more than just committed. It's a deeper commitment. Steadfast. It's a constant. He wants believers to remain constant in their Christian faith. Now, these believers at the time in Asia Minor were experiencing a difficult time of suffering. Uh, they were going through some persecution for their faith. And the Lord now uses Peter to reassure them that everything they're going through, get this, is worth it. Did you hear that? He wants them to know that what they're going through is worth it. Now, why in the world would we ever question if what we're going through in the Lord is worth it? Because we do. That's why. Because humanity is humanity, Christian or not. And we have human desire. We have human hurt. We have human uh, disappointment. And we struggle with those things. And even as a Christian, sometimes you will wonder if it's worth it. And if you haven't, you will. But most of us would probably admit, at least once, we wondered if it was worth it. Anybody? Guys, you can't be this silent. You can't be this silent. I know you question whether it was worth it or not. Okay? At least in here you did. At least in here. And so the fact is, I suspect all of us have wondered if the Christian lifestyle and our Christian faith was actually worth it. And sometimes, you know what, if your struggles get to the point where they're so bad, you might even think maybe it's not. Because sometimes our struggles are so deep and so hard and so painful that nothing is worth it. And that's why people say, I'm just going to check out. And they start drifting away from the Christian faith and they start not caring about anything and then they find themselves in some places doing some things that they know are pretty bad that's what satan does he's trying to do these things to us now 
when we go through difficult times and when we pray and God doesn't seem to answer? Anybody been there before? We may find ourselves weighing the costs as well as the benefits of having placed our faith in Jesus Christ. Because, you know, when we signed up for this whole thing, when we said we, we will, uh, I think we had this grandiose idea in our minds that all that stuff would go away, never come back. Then we find out that, well, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's not true. And here Peter is saying, don't you understand that God lets that stuff into your life sometimes. It's got nothing to do with you. It's got everything to do with what he wants to do elsewhere. And all he wants to do is use you because he believes he can. That God has faith in you. I mean, Job comes to mind. He's not the only one. Right? God used certain particular people of a particular faith to accomplish his purposes. And those people had done nothing wrong at all. And just because you're going through an issue doesn't mean that God is somehow uh, bringing calamity upon you. Or he's punishing you. But others around you may think that. Yeah? Even, even in the modern church, sometimes I think if we see people going through constant trial, we think there's either one or two things going on. Either, either their faith isn't where it belongs or God's punishing them. Friends, God doesn't, God doesn't punish people today. He did in the Old Testament, but he doesn't now. You know why? Because he gives us free will. And Jesus dying on the cross and resurrecting has bought us a, what I call a grace period. And in that grace period, God expects you to follow him, to become a Christian, and to follow him in the manner and way that you should. Because all of us are marching toward this one day called judgment. And that's when punishment's going to happen. And none of us wants to stand before the great white throne of judgment. I promise you, you don't. So when we see people go through trial and trouble, uh, have they done bad things and God's punishing them? No. In fact, they might be grand people of faith, and God's using that to reach somebody else. Now, how about that? That's why the Bible tells, tells us, when you're struggling, do it in secret. Do it in secret. And let your Father glorify Himself through you. See, that's the key. And so Peter encourages us, just like he did the early Christians, so that when trying times threaten to overwhelm us, we can rest assured that we find stability in God's love for us. And so Peter bases his encouragement to his fellow believers on the power of the love that God has for us. Amen? That's what he's doing. And so I began to think about that, and I came up with three irrefutable facts. And one of them is, we as Christians belong to God. Say that with me. We belong to God. Okay, let's get more personal. I belong to God. Yes, you do. You belong to God. Our identities are often highly important to us. Have you noticed that? Our identities are very important. Think with me just for a few minutes, if you will, on the things that we actually identify with. Now, everybody has things that they're passionate about. We pride ourselves on our family lineages sometimes. We like the name we come from, yeah. Some people do, right? Some don't, but some do, okay, right? I mean, how many times, there's been a time or two that I wish my name was Kennedy, yeah, for a variety of reasons, okay? Okay, maybe you didn't, but I did, <laughs> okay? Or, or some other name where I know that there's something that comes with it, you know. Uh, we pride ourselves on our friend networks, yeah? 
We pride ourselves on our education and other characteristics that we might have. We like certain sports teams, musical groups, cars and trucks, certain brands. I know that from the shirts that we wear, for the hats we wear, the things we're passionate about. I am proud to be a United States Marine. I always have been. I always will be. There's a reason why. And so, you know, and I'm, I'm sure my friends and other branches feel the same way. You know, because we've done it. We poured our heart into it. Uh, we are part of a group that made us different than others. And so we like that we were part of that, whatever that brand is. Uh, we champion certain things as well, such as Special Olympics. We're passionate about helping for that, right? You understand? Uh, we like uh, certain illnesses that somebody has, you know, or certain uh, uncurable diseases. Uh, people, there, there are benefit outings and things that are done, and we wear the, the memorabilia and, and the, the hats and the shirts, and we, and we go out and we work for it, yeah, to try to help find cures and raise awareness for it, yeah? These are things that we identify with. Uh, we, we work tirelessly doing fundraising, uh, and the same is true with racial disparity, gun violence, b- police brutality, the Me Too movement, BLM, and certain other things. Listen, you can be passionate about whatever you want, and the fact of the matter is, it's probably a good thing, unless you're misguided in it, and it's just something that you are impassioned about, and so you wear it on your sleeve, and, and you talk about it, and it, it defines in some ways, who you are, because it shows what you're interested in, what you care about, and that, that's okay. That's who we are. We wear clothing, T-shirts, hats, wear buttons and bracelets, you name it. And what do we do with that? Well, we're identifying ourselves with those things that matter to us. I'm wickedly excited today because the University of Notre Dame baseball team is in the College World Series they are a smaller program than some of the really big names that are there. They don't draw the athletes typically that, you know, Stanford and Texas and Tennessee and those big name teams do. And yet Notre Dame won their first game already, beat Texas. They got to play Oklahoma today, who's a very good baseball team. They toppled the number one team in the nation in Tennessee last weekend, beat them two out of three. You know, I, that excites me. And not just because I'm a Notre Dame fan, but because they're the underdog. And I'm a champion for underdogs. Anybody here a champion for the underdog? Well, yeah, that's the point. And so it, it, it kind of defines what we like based on who we are. We champion certain things. That's life. And so our identities are, again, very important to us. You see, these concepts take a shape of who you are. But more important than who we are, and I want you to understand this, is whose we are. You should probably write that down. More important than who we are is whose we are. Now, I'm not talking about who our parents are, who our spouse is, if we belong to an exclusive club or something like that. Those things are important, sure. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about who we belong to spiritually, our identity as Christians Centered in our relationship with God. That's what I'm talking about. That defines whose you are. In fact, our relationship to God is the basis, listen to this, of everything. Because in the end, it's going to be everything. Either you will be or you won't be. (laughs) 
Do you understand that? <laughs> Your relationship determines everything. If you have one, you're in him for eternity. And if you don't, you won't. You'll be outside. That's why your relationship is so important. And so in his opening letter, Peter reminds Christians of the relationship that we all have to God. And it's clear that even though Christians experience difficulty, just like Peter's initial readers, we are still connected to God, even through the difficulty. You may not feel like it. You may not act like it sometimes. And to others looking in the inside, it may not look like it either. Yeah? I mean, have you ever wondered when people look at you and you're going through a rough time and you failed as a Christian, if, they, if you ever were one? Yeah? You wonder what people think of you when they see you, yeah? But the Bible is clear that nothing can separate us from his love. Did you hear that? Nothing can separate you from his love. In fact, Paul makes a huge statement in this fact in Romans 8, 38 to 39. He says, for I am convinced that neither death or life, angels or demons, the present or the future the powers, neither height or death or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, nothing. Now, Paul understands, as Peter does, that there is something we all need to understand. Now, I found that we are all at different phases and depths of our understanding in the Word of God. Yeah? True? But there's one thing that these two guys understand that we all have to understand. And the fact is that God is so desirous of all of us being part of His family and kingdom for eternity that throughout the history of humankind, Every single thing that God ever did or a byproduct of everything he ever did was designed just for that purpose and reason that we would all have eternity with him. Everything God has ever done, that's the reason why he did it. Now consider the fact that each member of the Trinity is intimately involved in our salvation. Have you considered that? All three, Father, Spirit, Son, are all, have all had an intimate part in our salvation. I think, and, and I added this in the last couple of weeks because the original message didn't have it. And I added it because I think you need to understand the depth of this. And the Lord brought some things to my mind, and I thought, oh, i got to share that. Because I know it, but I'm not sure everybody does. And it's important that we do. Salvation originated with the Father. Clearly it did. Yeah, I mean, God decided that he wanted us all to be saved. And so it was his design that humankind would, would be created in the first place. Yeah. Did the Father decide that? Of course he did. And he, he was going to give us free will, which he did. And he offered the opportunity to walk with him for all time. Now, humankind uh, decided pretty early on that uh, they wanted to do things their own way, go their own way sometimes. And they did. And everyone since has done it other than Christ himself. And so we rebelled. And from that point forward, the Father's plan was put into motion in order to return humankind back to himself. Are you saying in the Garden of Eden, God put the, the plan in motion? That's what I'm saying. It didn't take very long after he created the first ones that the motion started to bring mankind back Amen? And so he does. 
And he is overseeing this process of our salvation from the very beginning. God's always been involved in it, just like that. So the Father started it, and he's going to see it to completion. But salvation, my friends, is only possible through the Son. It's only possible through the Son. Everything the Father does for our salvation, He does through the glorification of Christ. The work of the Son means redemption, adoption back to the Father, reconciliation, sanctification, and then glorification of the entire Trinity. That's what it does. Now, I know you have to write fast to get all this down, but you need to understand what it is. It operates up and down, left and right, through every single way possible in your life. And it is for Jew and Gentile alike. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how smart or not smart you are. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what food you like. It doesn't matter what teams you champion. It doesn't matter uh, where you grew up. It doesn't matter how you're educated. Does, none of that matters. Zero. It's for everybody. That's how deep and wide the depth of the Father is. He would send his son. He would create his son and then send him to die. Just you and the one next to you and the one against you and the one unlike you and the one you don't understand who doesn't understand you. One doesn't like you neither. Even the ones that hate you. Even the ones that might want to kill you. Did Christ die for them? Yeah. Sure did. And what again, too? Yet the only person on the face of the planet was the most evil person that had ever been. Christ would have died for him. That's how important the salvation of humankind is to the Father. And the Father and the Son are always in agreement. It is only through the Son that we achieve salvation and come to this full relationship with the triune God. But it's more than that. Your salvation is kept and communicated by the Holy Spirit. You couldn't do it otherwise. Without the Holy Spirit, without Jesus giving us to get the Holy Spirit, I don't think any of us would remain saved. I really don't. Now, I know my Baptist friends will disagree. I don't think it's possible. I mean, if we could remain saved without the Holy Spirit, why was it given? You tell me. That's a theological question. I'll pose to anybody. The most brilliant of theologians, I ask them that question. Why was it necessary? <laughs> I know why it was necessary to keep me in line with the Father, to keep my salvation intact. That's what it's for. The Spirit changes us, get this, from the inside out. From the inside out. It performs this gracious act of regeneration. And with our regeneration comes the gift of faith and the spiritual ability to believe, get this, in the resurrection. Because I know that somebody raising from the dead is, is not probable. It's not practical. It's not possible. But Jesus did it. Okay? Again, I worked in a funeral home for a long time, and it doesn't happen, I'm telling you. But he did it. Okay? And as a person who knows it can't happen, for me to believe it, something in me tells me that it did. And that's my faith in him. I have to have this gift of faith to have the spiritual ability to believe in the resurrection. Otherwise, you wouldn't. And that's why most people really aren't Christians. 
because they can't believe in something that they can't believe happened. They can't believe in the rising of somebody who was dead because they've never seen it. That's the basis of faith. And the more I thought about it, friends, I realized that through the Holy Spirit, our salvation becomes a reality as we apply it to our lives in our own unique ways. And this is interesting because sometimes I think that we believe that everybody ought to come to the Father, worship the Father, and believe in the Father in the same way we do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of it's naive, isn't it? Right? That'd be like, you know the generational problems that we've had in the church, you know, where, where people who are the older, older people, uh, a lot of people got saved at these big revivals in a hot, you know, uh, tabernacle or church, you know, when the preacher was, everybody was dressed up in suits and ties and, and even in the most hottest places and, you know, jump around, holler and scream and bang on the pulpit and all these things and they got convicted and came to Christ. That'd be like them thinking that people today are going to come to Christ that way. They probably won't. But he's still drawing people to him, isn't he? It doesn't matter how you come to Christ as long as you do. We can't force people to come to Christ the way we did. Because they don't. He doesn't want them to come to Christ your way. He wants them to come to him his way. And you know what his way is? Any way they'll do it. Any way he can draw them, he will use it. And why wouldn't we, and why wouldn't we acknowledge that? We're all different. And get this, we're created to be different. And yet we're created to be the same. And God does all of that. And I began to think about it more and more. It doesn't matter that we're all different. We all still have the same gift of the same spirit. Don't we? Well, of course we do. And we all display our salvation the same and yet differently. Some of the attributes that we display, we're all going to have them. Right? Because the Bible says, if you're saved, these are some of the attributes that are going to be evident in you. And yet there are going to be some things that God's going to use through the gifts and talents that we have to display our salvation that others don't have. You see, that's the, our, our diversity and our difference is what makes us Christian in the first place. That's why we're Christian, and that's why it works, because it's the only entity that you can identify with where you can be completely different and opposite from somebody, but still have the same spirit and be saved. That's the key, you see. And so more and more I began thinking about more of that, and I thought, you know, here's the deal. It is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that serves as the seal, that seals us in God, that establishes us and proves us as children of God. And that's what Peter says. You've got to be proven as a child of God, and that happens from within. And look what Paul says in Ephesians 1. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him, get this, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Wow. If you wonder where that is, that's Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. What a beautiful scripture as Paul lays it out on the line for us. You see, the gracious gift of salvation gives us a new life. It gives us a new hope. And as we become part of God's family, we do indeed realize that we belong to God. 
And it's not only the basis of our faith, it's the beginning of how the Christian lives in a broken world. The fact that you belong to God. That's how you do it. Because in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus said, take heart, I have overcome. Bam! I've overcome the world. So, that's the basis of your faith. You belong to God. And that's where it begins. You want to know how to survive? Want how to live in a broken world? Know that you belong to God. Belong to Him and know that you do. Amen? Number two, you are also kept by God. You are kept by Him. You know, friends, in this life, trust is everything. I want that to sink into your brain pan just for a minute. I want you to think on this for a minute. I want you to think about what you trust and what you don't, who you trust and who you don't, and why. You see, here's what I've found in my experience in life. Trust is becoming an increasingly rare commodity, particularly as our society continues to degenerate and teaches itself to be more untrustworthy. I said, it's becoming a way of life. It's becoming an absolute. We don't trust anything. Used to be, if you read it in a paper, in a magazine, or, on, or you heard it on television, it was probably true. <laughs> now you expect it not to be true. Right. You don't trust that. Does anybody trust the media? Because I don't. Not any of them, really. If they can sell more newscasts or more papers, they're going to do it. And I have found that they drum up stuff just to do it. Okay? I'm not picking on people. Just... It's a reality. Okay? But more than that, society is increasingly becoming more untrusting. Why? Because we've proven it to ourselves that most people can't really be trusted. That's by experience, isn't it? You learn by experience that most people can't really be trusted. You can like certain musicians or not, certain songwriters or not, uh, I've, al I've always liked Elton John. I don't care for his lifestyle, but I've always liked Elton John. And Elton John says in one of his songs, I couldn't believe in me and I wouldn't believe in you. In other words, I don't even trust myself. And I certainly don't trust you. If I can't trust me, I won't trust you. Have we got to the point where we can't even trust ourselves? Yes! Yes. You know why? Because we know ourselves, and we know that the more attached to God we are, the more trust that we have in ourselves to do the right thing. But the more away from God we get, we lose trust in ourselves that we will do the right thing. Because we won't. We know ourselves. That's the fight between good and evil in our society. And it seems like evil is winning. It won't, but it seems like it is. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's why we realize that most people can't really be trusted, even with the smallest of things. And now we have to ask ourselves, how has that happened? Because we're being taught to be more self-centered each and every day. We're teaching our society to be more self-centered than it's ever been. And we're finding that we like it. We're finding that we like being self-centered. Which is why it's practiced so much these days. Because it really is all about us. It isn't, but we think it is. And if, and if we find that it isn't, we, we want it to be. We wish it to be. And we think 
It should be that way. Why? Because we deserve it. It stuns me that actually in life, we're running around thinking we deserve something. That's okay. Don't worry about that. Look up here. We believe we deserve something. What do we deserve? According to God, you don't deserve anything. According to the Word of God, you deserve nothing He offers. So why do we think we deserve it in this life? It shocks me how often people will say, I want this because I deserve it. No, you don't. The only thing you deserve is what God says you deserve. And when we go to a mass, we say, you deserve it. Because you do in Him. That's about the only thing you deserve, because God says so. This is what we don't understand. There's a separation between life and Christian life. There's a massive difference, too. And yet, isn't it good, friends? I want you to hear me here. Isn't it good to have somebody that you can trust to keep something safe for you? Doesn't it make you feel good to know that there's somebody you can really trust? Perhaps you've relied on someone to take care of the things while you're gone, like your home or your stuff when you're on vacation. And knowing the person was looking out for you likely puts your mind at ease and you can actually enjoy vacation. Yeah? Perhaps you've trusted somebody with a secret that you don't want everybody else to know, but you, you, you needed to, to talk to somebody about it. Maybe you've confided in somebody for no other reason other than to be able to vent so that you don't feel alone in your situation. Anybody been there before? You're not just going to tell anybody, are you? You know, I, I know some people telephone, telegraph, and tell that person. Because you just know the town crier is going to be out. Some people can't wait to blab what you've told them. And they twist it a little bit to make it more interesting. And there's some people that want to be in the know all the time in everybody's business. And I'm going to tell you something. That's why Facebook is dangerous. Because not everybody on there is trustworthy. We'll take good things that could be good and use them for, for bad. Everybody does. Now, come on. People say, you need to have Facebook. <laughs> not a chance. Not interested. Not only do I not want you to know what's going on in me, I don't want to know what's going on in you either. Right? Because I figure if you want me to know, you'll tell me in due time. And then we'll deal with it together. But I'm not that person that wants to be, I want to be in the know. I'm not the inquiring mind. Because it's not healthy. But I'm, I'm not here to pick on magazines and social media platforms. I'm here to make you understand that you can't trust everybody. And there's increasingly few people that you can't. And it's good to know that there's somebody that you can trust in. But if that's so, how much greater is it to know that God created us to live this precious and joyous thing called life? And when earthly life is over, He's been keeping our eternal reward with Him in heaven. I trust Him in that. I believe in that. You know how I know it? Because He said so. And He's promised me that everything He says is true. And either I believe it or I don't. I choose to believe him. And I began to think about that, and I thought, friends, ha, you know, y y do you believe it? Because you have to. 
As a Christian, you have to believe that. You have to trust God. You have to trust that He's going to make good on every single promise He's ever given. And, and you will absolutely hear Him say, here's your reward. As you receive eternity at the appropriate time. And I want to talk about that. You see, I believe, because the Bible says so, and the Spirit tells me that I have an inheritance that's waiting for me. You should know that you have an inheritance waiting for you. Now, I can't tell you how often I've heard of people who thought they were going to receive this massive inheritance when their parents or grandparents died, and they felt they deserved it simply because they were descendants of somebody. They were part of a family. They had a name, and they felt that they had something coming to them that was rightfully theirs. And you know, there's been some pretty big disputes in families over what's rightfully somebody's and what isn't. And a lot of it has to do with what the person given it decided to give and what they didn't. And who they decided to give to and who they didn't. And there's been some families where some people got some stuff and some didn't. And there's been some families that were shocked when nobody got anything and it all went to charity. And they weren't very happy about it. And you know what they do? Well, I'm just going to sue the break, break the will. Because I deserve it, you know. Do you? Do you really deserve it? What makes you think so? You see, this, this is a society that we live in. It's a mentality that we have. Being part of a family doesn't mean you deserve anything. But we've been taught that it does. And these, these people felt they had something coming to them that was rightfully theirs. And yet, either there weren't any assets to give, they weren't given anything, or what there was had to be used up on the care and living expenses for their family member who was at the end of life and needed particular, you know, and round the clock, 24-hour care in a facility. And let me tell you something, that can eat up an inheritance in a really short time. I know for a fact it can. Okay? But whatever it was, they didn't get it. Circumstances. And we've all got them. In God's family, we have an inheritance waiting for us. But this one's different, and it's much better. We didn't earn it, and nor do we deserve it. I'm going to say it right now. We didn't earn it, and you don't deserve it. Because this inheritance is God's gift to you, made possible through the death and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus. That's the only reason. And you deserve it only because He said so. God is not simply concerned about our future, though. See, I think we sometimes struggle in this life and have unhappy Christian lives if there can be such a thing because we're waiting for the inheritance that's going to come and we forget to understand that it's more than that. God wants to bless you even now. He always has wanted to bless you. He takes care of us right now. He's keeping us each day of our lives. He's keeping us here in the faith each day. He's watching over us, protecting us, loving us and being with us in His presence through His Spirit. He is absolutely preparing us to receive what He has prepared for us. Jesus said it was a mansion. The Bible tells us that it's so much more than that. Now, we only get a glimpse of it in the Scripture, but whatever it actually is, the main thing is that it's life. <laughs> that I know. It's life. But it's a new and better one than we have now. Not only is trust inheritance and eternal life, the basis of our faith, those truths are also how the Christian lives in a broken world. That's how I live in a broken world. Knowing 
that I can trust the one who said I'm going to get it, that the inheritance is coming, and more than that, I'm receiving part of it now just by his presence. That's how I live in a broken world. So when stuff happens around you, none of that's going to matter when you're in him. That's the key. Lastly, we're developed by God. And I began to think about it for a little bit, and I realized that we live in this era. Here's a Danerism, Craig. You ready? Instantaneanism. <laughs> we live. How long ago did you dub that, Danerisms? <coughs> yeah, I'm going to say. <laughs> I come up with words that Craig knows aren't words, and so he calls them Danerisms. We live in a world of instantaneanism. You can put an ism on anything. Pretty much. <laughs> but I realize that many of us are accustomed to taking pictures on our phones and then posting the pictures to various social media pages immediately. How many, how, who, who does that? Anybody, anybody take a picture of your phone and post it on social media right away? Why do you do that? I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm just asking you why. <laughs> Back in the day, though, you took pictures and you had to wait for them to be developed. It's true. You would load film into a camera, take the picture, and when the film was full, probably uh, 24 to 36 exposures, depending on how expensive the film was, based on what, how much you wanted to buy. What's that? That's it. And so you would take the pictures, and then you would carefully take the film out of the camera, because sometimes you didn't wind the, the film back all the way, and guess what? You lost a whole bunch of pictures because it got exposed to light. Now you know, no pictures no more. And I, younger people are going, what? You, you what? I found an old camera on the, uh, and it, it was probably from the 1940s or 30s. And my grandparents had a little, little Kodak, plastic brown Kodak. Yeah. And I told grandpa, does this still work? He goes, I don't know. Let's go get some film and find out. So we went and got some, I don't know, I think it was, I think it was 110, or maybe it was something else. Remember, it's 110, was that right? Yeah. The yeah. so one got it, and put it in there, and it, 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 right? And then, and you know what? I, I took 24 pictures. Why? Because you had to use the film on various things. And then you had to, find, you had to take all 24, and then you had to send it off, or take it into the drugstore, or sometimes the supermarket, and, then, and wait for it to come back. They had to develop the film. <laughs> you seriously had to wait. <laughs> and more times than not, the picture didn't turn out. And then you found out that you took pictures of things you never intended to take pictures of. My wife and I, when we still had cameras around the house, uh, we used to take a couple pictures and leave the camera lay for a week or two or whatever, a month. You know, take a few more pictures, and then we'd develop the film. We'd say, oh, hey, we never, did you know? Go develop that film. Develop it. And then we'd have all these close-ups of Jessica. <laughs> she still does it. And not only that, I have found that the blood runs deep. Because Vanessa has my phone. All these various pictures of Vanessa's face close-up are on my phone. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, many times the pictures didn't turn out, you know. For whatever reason. And we accepted that as part of the process of just taking pictures. It's just part of it. You just knew that some pictures weren't. You hoped they would turn out, but a lot of times they didn't. 
And then all of a sudden, Polaroid came out. And instantaneism started. It was expensive, way more than regular film. And the picture quality wasn't always that great. And they were always thicker and they were kind of weird. But. <laughs> but it was a much different time, wasn't it? We always had to wait, but we were excited to see how things would turn out. The point is, usually the pictures were good, sometimes they weren't. But our excitement, our expectation didn't change. Something has happened to us in modern society. Something has. We don't want to wait for anything. And if I'm being honest, we're rushing certain things that we shouldn't. You follow me so far? Particularly when it comes to raising children. I could talk about microwaves, but I'm not going to do that. Because microwave quality isn't what waiting on something is. And the fact of the matter is, when we raise our children, we're not only allowing children to grow up too quickly, there are some of us, particularly outside of Christianity, who are pushing it. We are exposing our children to things much too early in life. I don't think, I know. And they aren't ready to handle those things. Not developed yet, are they? There's that word. They're not developed. And because they're not, they're not ready to handle it. Yet still it's expected, or at the least, people don't seem to much care if they are ready to handle it or not. Because that's the way things are. And I look at it and say, but that's not the way things ought to be. I don't want to get started talking about specifics, but I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Friends, certain things in life take time to develop. Things such as knowledge, skills, experience, and character. And not, let's not forget about the most important one, spirituality. God uses the experiences in our lives to develop us. And this oftentimes includes the periods of trial, our time in the dark room, so to speak. Our time in the, in the developing room. And if I could encourage you this morning, there's something I think we can rejoice about now while anticipating an even greater celebration later. Our dark time, our time in the dark room is important because it allows us to develop. We gain experience, which brings knowledge and character to our lives and to those around us. It develops us spiritually too. Because certain things, Jesus said, your spirituality is the only way you're going to survive it. Even the casting out of demons, this type took special prayer. It took special fasting. It took deeper spirituality. Certain things are deeper, amen? And they take longer to develop. But we know in the end, my friends, that it's necessary in our lives because it leads to the inheritance we're all looking for. And we know that God will have done a marvelous work in us when we receive it. This is the basis of our faith, even though we can't currently see how it's all going to turn out. That's the unknown. But this inheritance isn't like the earthly inheritance we may or may not receive. We may know much less about our inheritance in the Lord. But the one thing we do know is that it will be greater than any inheritance any of us would ever get in the world. And our development by God is the greatest part of our, our faith. Why? Because it is a relationship and real-time way that we experience God and the way that we see Him moving in our lives. That's development. You've got to see 
time. You've got to have time to watch God move in your life to develop this spiritual depth. And you can't get there without bad things happening to you. You see, friends, this is how that we know we're secure in His love and presence as well as what He has waiting for us. And as our worship team comes this morning, this is the way we live as Christians in a broken world. By knowing what we have coming to us. By knowing that God has promised that if we would stand firm, we would receive the crown of life. Patience. Development. Character. Experience. And I would dare say victories. Our faith and our hope give us all we need to be all that God desires for us. You know, we can maintain our hope because we know that God is in control of our lives, even if we don't seem to be. Beginning, middle, and end, He's there. And after our earthly lives have ended, God has even more in store for us. Knowing this should encourage us to endure the trials and tribulations we face. God is preserving our reward and preserving us until we reach it. More than once, I have gone to a funeral home where a good Christian is lying in a casket because their life on earth has ended. And more than once, I've seen the fork in the hand. And they wanted it there because they wanted everybody that came to know that they've had the full meal. They've had several courses of it, but the best is yet to come. The dessert is waiting. But you're going to receive it. And the dessert is always the best part. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.